0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, I'm really thankful, thankful to be here. Just uh, feel the warmth already being in your congregation. Love, what a beautiful town you have here. So thankful to be here. Before we get started, can I, can I quiz you on your, um, on your hymn knowledge? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Wow, okay. isn't that great that that we've been saved, wretches like us? Now we're we're all good, right? No, I, I like that song because it reminds me that amazing grace is not only for those who don't know Christ yet. Amazing grace is for Christians. I don't know about you, but I still need amazing grace every week. I've been, finished seminary, went through all the rigors of the original languages been ordained recently in the Presbytery, and you know what? I'm still realizing I'm being confronted more than ever before that I need amazing grace. I need amazing grace. We need amazing grace as the people of God. So please tune your ear into the Word of God today, and let's just look for the amazing grace that Christ is offering. He offers it through the whole whole text, from the beginning of the story to the end. And the title of the sermon I'm giving today is, Spelunking for Vindication. Now, I feel like there's a better chance of you all knowing what spelunking is than it is for those in the Midwest, because you have caves out here. Does anyone know what spelunking is? Going in caves. caves. Some people call it caving. You're crawling around through the earth, getting squeezed in between cracks, and you're wondering, why on earth do people do this as a hobby? I watch some YouTube videos and, and some guys are stuck in there I'm thinking, why would you go spelunking? Why would you go down? Why not go on top of the mountain? But some people are really interested in spelunking because it de- combines this desire to explore and to discover. And it's even been found that there's treasures under the earth, things from ancient civilizations maybe we'll just discover a, a tube of caving that go, caving that goes on for 2 miles. So there's things to be found in these caves. Some people think it's the most thrilling thing to go down because you discover all types of treasure. Well, the point is counterintuitive today. You can find great treasure by going down. And today we're going to be looking in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22. And we're going to see a story of King David, who's been anointed to be the next king of Israel. He's not the king yet. He's been anointed as a young boy to be the next king of Israel. However, he encounters many trials, and he's finding that in order to go up, you must first go down. So in this passage, David is in a fight for his life. He's trying to escape Saul, who is insecure about his status and is trying to hunt David. He's after him. And as Saul tries to climb his way up and grasp with all of his strength, with all of his will, he's plummeting. But as David goes down, he sees the Lord is lifting him up and lifting him up higher and higher. I don't know if you're into dancing, but I love weddings. I like to dance, and this is how it plays out for me. If you want to get up, you got to get down. (laughs) So we can learn a lot by watching David, but let's not be confused. The text is about God. The message of 1 Samuel is less rooted in David's behavior and more in God's fulfillment of his prophetic word. The Lord said, I'm going to establish a king. I'm going to care for my people. I'm going to be a faithful shepherd. And no matter what's going on in your life, David, I got your back. So this is a text about God, but we can learn a lot by watching David because this text zooms in on David's life. So let's glean from looking at David's life today. If you'd like to read with me, I'm going to open the good book, 1 Samuel 22, and we're only reading two verses this morning. So we'll spend the majority of our time. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would exalt yourself today. Would you please teach us the secret, the gospel, that if we are allowing ourselves to be humbled by you, that you will lift us up. Will you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would you guard my mouth? Would you open our ears? Would you please remove from us the stoning parts of our hearts because we need amazing grace today open up this ancient story to us father by the power of your Holy Spirit we ask in Jesus name amen okay I know a lot of you are good Christians so you probably don't know about this but there's about to happen one of the biggest fights in the history of boxing in mixed martial arts and if you know what I'm talking about because you're, you're too good Christians to be, to be a, aware of these things that happen in Vegas. So, the greatest fighter of all time in boxing, Mayweather, in retirement for two years is saying, I'm coming out of retirement. What brings the greatest boxer of all time, Mayweather, out of retirement? Well, there's a man named Colin McGregor, and he's the king in the MMA, which is mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, Fighting, boxing, grappling, all types of things. So Colin McGregor from Scotland came into the MMA several years ago and said, I'm going to run this place. And you know what? He actually backed it up. Colin McGregor now holds two titles. At one point, he held two titles consecutively, two different weight classes. This brash, fast-talking, mean-mugging, GQ-dressing Irish Scottishman, is the king of the MMA and he called out Floyd Mayweather and Mayweather surprisingly responded I'll fight so next month the end of next month <laughs> if you wanna shout the hundred dollars for pay-per-view the, <laughs> the fight is actually it's, it's offering a payout of nine figures to each fighter so it's it's a tremendous payout they're gonna have here but Mayweather what would bring Mayweather out? who is Mayweather well if you don't know him Mayweather is the king of the ring. He's notably, arguably, the best boxer of all time. And he has a secret to this. He's never been beaten, undefeated wrecker. I don't think he's even been knocked down one time. And this is his secret. Mayweather is the king of the defensive strategy. So what he does is he allows his opponent to back him into the corner. And when Mayweather's in the corner, he has you right where he wants you because these professional pugilists, these expert elite boxers, have them in the corner and they just begin waylaying, letting all their punches go, lightning fast. I mean, you can just watch it on YouTube if you want to. These guys are flying, leaning into them, and Mayweather is ducking, bobbing, weaving, and at the end of the flurry, the master pugilist realizes that they haven't landed a punch because Mayweather is the king of the defensive strategy this is how I like to put it Mayweather knows how to get low you go to punch him he's low you swing 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 he gets low he moves moves and these guys are just stunned that they can't land a punch I mean this is their career to land punches they get him into the corner and they can't land anything on him because Mayweather knows the secret of getting low So I don't know if you have this in common with me, but I often find it difficult to get low when I'm in a conflict. When I'm confronted by the trials of life, when I'm confronted by people in my life, when someone's challenging my identity, my temptation is to get up and to be bigger. In boxing, you know, that's just a setup for the knockdown. It's the same in our Christian life. We're all tempted to raise up and puff up when we're confronted. But David and Mayweather know the art of getting low. So the main point I want you to get from this text today is this. Because God's loving plan is at work behind the scenes, we must refuse to vindicate ourselves. Because God's loving plan. He loves you. He's watching over your life. He sees you. He cares for you. He knows the drama you're going through because God's loving plan is at work behind the scenes. I know you can't see it, but because it is, you must refuse to vindicate yourself. That's the call to every Christian. We're going to break down this text with three points by looking at the king of the cave the people of the cave and the Christ of the cave the king of the cave the people of the cave and the Christ of the cave if you look in your text here first Samuel 22 verse 1 it says David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adolam if you could just go back in time you would see David looking like a raving lunatic, his eyes wild, his, his clothes ripe with the smell of sweat from being on the run for days. His beard is a sponge of spittle. He looks like a raving lunatic. He's a man on the run. What's going on here? If you didn't know his name was David, if you didn't know the story, you would think, what has this man done to get himself in this situation? Not only that, but his father's house heard of it, and they had to go down to him. His family had to escape. Have you ever done something so bad that now your family is in the line of fire? So David, looking like a raving lunatic, on the run, what's going on here? Well, if we look at the chapter before, we see that David was just in the presence of King Achish. And he was seeking to find work. He was seeking refuge. So as he approached the king, he was recognized. And in the recognition, David thought, oh no, if they recognize me, I'm in danger. So he was quick on his feet, and he acted like an insane man before he was entered, allowed entrance to see the king. And he began drooling, and he began acting like a, like a lunatic. Because in those days, they believed that lunatics had prophetic powers. So David goes before Achish, and Achish says, What is this that you've brought me a lunatic? Have I not enough lunatics in my court already? And they release him, and David's on the run again. So David can't find shelter at home. He can't find shelter with his best friend. He can't find shelter even in his enemy's camp. He can't find shelter anywhere. So where does he go? David goes spelunking. He finds a cave and he gets low. I don't know about you, but my temptation would not be to get low. My temptation would be to start a coup. Men, I am the legitimate king of Israel. Come join me. Let's take this by force. I'm not going to hide. I'm the legitimate one in this altercation. Come men, let's go. But David's response is different. He says, I'm going to low. I'm going low. I'm going spelunking. So David and his men, before Christ was incarnate, knew the secret of the gospel, that God cares for the lowly, those who say, I'm not going to fight for myself. I believe that there's a God who's watching and who loves me. There's a picture I found I was recently looking at. Took place in August 5th, 1956. Excuse me, 66. And it's a king of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the only king our country has ever seen. And Dr. King in this picture, this dignified, educated man is crouched over with his hands over his head in this humble, protective posture. And as I looked at that picture, I thought, wow, what's going on here? So I began reading, and Dr. King was on the west side of Chicago and it had been pelted with a stone. Essentially, he'd been stoned. What was he doing? Dr. King was on a peaceful march hoping that the city would acknowledge the need for African-American housing in that community. He was later asked why he put himself at such risk and this is how he answered. I have to do this to expose myself to bring this hate into the open. He realized that by getting low the truth would be manifest. Hatred would be exposed for what it is. Evil would be exposed for what it is. And then as he got low, that Christ would lift him up. That there is a God, that there is justice, that the earth is not just a ball of randomness, but there is authority. And he trusted that this authority would be his vindication. And look how our country has changed. We're not perfect yet. I know this coming from St. Louis recently. But look how... He has impacted our country. He, had, he never raised a fist. This man was constantly being persecuted, being attacked. Augustine said this, "O oh Lord, deliver me from the lust of always having to vindicate myself. Isn't that true? We lust vindicating ourselves. We long for others to see us rightly in their sight, and we want to prove it to them right now. Lord, forgive us for the lust of always having to vindicate ourselves. God, forgive me for the lust of always having to vindicate myself. I've been so convicted this week as I look at my life with my wife and children. I've been recently praying that the Lord would expose to me more and more of my ungodliness as he exposes more and more of his grace, the goodness of the cross, And he's been faithful to do it. And I lust vindication for myself. I don't get low. I get right in the face of whatever's opposing me. And I tell them what's true. I have value. You can't treat me like this. I don't deserve this. And it's often with my wife and my children. And my wife knows this as she's smiling in the back there. We get into conflict, and my temptation is to rise up and say, no, I'm the leader of this house. We need to follow this lead. How are things to work if there's not a sense of authority? And I'm just kind of leaning in and just saying, this is just so wrong, and my children are standing by, watching, thinking, man, Dad, you're really, you're really awesome. You really know how to prosecute the, uh, the, the uh, defendant. And uh, I'm joking because... It's never, it's never impressive to my kids when I prove my, to my wife how right I think I am. But when I remember by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit's gentle whisper, get low, get low, Tyson. And I obey, I get low, and I let myself be backed into a corner, and I receive the comments that are often filled with much truth. I just get low and I receive, I hear you. I understand that makes sense why that's frustrating. Do you know what happens? The Lord is so faithful, he vindicates me. Often my wife will come back and say, hey Ty, thank you for hearing me. That really ministered to me so much. So there's an art to this getting low. David knew about this. Psalm 57 was was believed to have been written out of this experience. And David cried out to the Lord. He brought his complaint to God, and he brought his faith to God, and God heard him. So we must refuse to vindicate ourselves because behind the scenes, God is working an amazing plan for your lives. He loves you. He's tenderly and intimately acquainted with you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Not one thing goes by. Not one offense against you goes by unwritten. He vindicates everything. So because of this, we must watch the king of the cave here, David, who knows the the art of the gospel. It's getting low, looking to Christ, not trying to be everything ourselves. Let's also look to the people of the cave. So we read on, verse 2, "...and everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is bitter in soul..." gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So can you imagine this? David hears a knock at the door, and he, he does what we all do, right? We don't just go up and open the door. No, we're not, we're not ready for that. He goes and looks through the, the peephole. He says, who's out there? Is that what you all do? He goes and looks out the peephole, and he sees a ragamuffin band of men I mean, guys with pockets stuffed with lottery tickets. Some guys over here just like chain-smoking Marlboros. Angry people. People with just ACDC t-shirts and Metallica. (laughs) And what does David do? David opens his door and says, no, thank you. Not interested. Please come against next time or look at the no soliciting sign on my door. No, David does something strange, he actually welcomes them in. He welcomes in this rough group of men, 400 of them. Come on in. The text describes them, once again, I'll repeat, in three ways. They were distressed, they were in debt, and they were the bitter in soul. Who are the distressed? Those are those who are filled with anxiety, riddled with anxiety, sorrow, and pain. Those are the people who say, I feel literally crazy. I can't handle what's going on in life right now. It's too much for me. I literally feel crazy. David says, come on in. The next group the text describes as those in debt. The state of owing money. I know about that coming out of seminary. One of my good friends who visited me in seminary, who's, who's fairly well off, would come and often refresh our family with, uh, with gifts. And uh, he would often say to me, Tyson, you're in a rich spot right now. He says, I have so much, and I... Can often be confused and think that I'm autonomous. I can handle life on my own. But he says, You're actually in a rich spot because you know your neediness. You know that you're dependent upon something greater than yourself. And David says to all those men who are in debt, who are overwhelmed with their inability to take care of their necessities in life, he says, Come on in. The other group is the bitter in soul. And I think of these people as the angry. I'm angry. Does God accept angry people like me? Growing up without a father, my father's preaching somewhere in America today. He's a pastor, and he's never approached me. He's never initiated a conversation with me. And my young soul grew up angry. I even go a step further. Rageful. You know what God says? He says to the angry, He says, come on in. You're dissatisfied with the things they are. You're dissatisfied with the way the world is. You understand that we live in a fallen world. You don't think Life is a happy-go-lucky thing. You, you're aware that there's a fall and that there's a need for a remedy. Come on in, angry people. The door's wide open. One theologian put it this way. They ought to have gone to David because his character was so good and his conduct so upright. They ought to have helped him because of his disposition that it was so kind and sympathizing They might have rallied to his strength because he was the Lord's anointed. They might, as wise men, have cast in their lot with him because there was a prophecy and a promise of his triumph and his reign over them. But they were swayed by other motives. They went to him for these reasons, because they were distressed, because they were in debt, and because they were discontented. God receives us. With our broken motives. His love is that strong, he says, Come on in. Your motives aren't even pure, but come on in. I'll take care of that. And under David's authority, a human authority, these men became the mighty men of Israel, as it says in 2 Samuel 23. They knew the art of getting down, getting low. God is so faithful. When he looks down on the earth, as in a Google Map Quest, he sees penitentiaries. And do you know what he does? He swoops down to those places. To the men and women standing on the side of the road, do you know what he thinks? Do you know what he does? He doesn't look the other way. He swoops down into that situation. To the mother who's so angry, feels she's crazy, feels like she could hurt her own self or her own children, he swoops down and says, you're my people. And I can help you. I love you. He looks down into the most wretched places and says, there's a hope for them. There's a fighting chance for them because they're already down. They're already low. They know that they're in need. I was at a pastor's conference in St. Louis, and uh, I heard something that was just so stark, I'll never forget it. A woman stood up at this morning, this uh, pastor's breakfast rather, and she stood up and she said, um, she was talking about her church and her involvement in the community and about getting the, the gospel out there. And then she said something, I won't use her exact words because I don't have the depth of experience to use the same language she used, but essentially she said this. She says, I believe in the gospel, and this community needs the gospel. And she said, you know what? It takes a prostitute to save a prostitute. She said, I used to be a stripper. But she said, that's all right, because it takes a prostitute to save a prostitute. The gospel is for those who recognize the deep disparity between them and God. To pray, our Father who art in heaven, is just crazy. If you recognize who you are, you recognize the depravity of your sin, and see the intimacy that the Lord invites and say, you call me Father. This woman understood the depths of her depravity. Those who dwell in caves are kind of postured like this in life. C.S. Lewis has something, he chimes in on this and he says, it's easier to save a prostitute than a moralist. Prostitutes are in the position to enter a cave. Jesus said, if you don't need a hospital, I guess you don't need me. I've come for the sick. Who's sick here? Everyone's hand should have went up. A prostitute enters the cave just like this and finds vindication from God. She gets low. A recovered addict or someone still struggling with the drugs enters a cave like this because they recognize I'm low. A moralist stands straight up and says, I got this. Oh, Lord, guard us from, from our moralism. It's anti-gospel. It's atheism in some ways. So as we move about this week, let's remember the Lord is with the lowly. If you're feeling lowly, if you're aware of your brokenness, your indebtedness, your anger, your discontent, your craziness, the Lord has his crosshairs on you, his crosshairs of love. And he's working things behind the scenes for your favor. He loves you and he has a plan for you. So know that the Lord is right where you are, as deep as you feel. Often when we're in depression, we think we've been forgotten by God, but based on this text, the Lord is right there. He's right there. He's with you. He's with those who are in the cave. When you see someone asking for money on the side of the road, don't look the other way. At least if you have no money, roll down the window and speak to them because the Lord is right on that corner. I felt so humbled this the other week. There was a man asking for money and I I had a, a nickel and I felt terrible even offering. I said, I'm sorry, this is all I have. And you know what the man said? He said, thank you so much. I'll see you in heaven. The Lord is right there on those street corners with the addicts, with the hardened criminals. He's right there. He's in the low places. Those of us in the times when we're feeling we got this under control, I'm so sanctified, I'm good. Lord, have mercy on us. Finally, let's look at the Christ of the cave. If you're curious about religion, I think you should listen in here. David was the king of the cave. We are much like the people of the cave, but there is a Christ of the cave, and this is the highlight of the passage. This is why you can go spelunking, because there's a Christ who meets those who spelunk for vindication, who know the art of getting low like Mayweather. The Christ of the Cave. I was recently, my wife and I have been reading uh, The Odyssey lately, kinda cracking into that old classic, and it's it's been fun, it's been enlightening, and early on in the book you see Zeus and Athena are up in heaven and Athena's looking down and saying, poor Odysseus, he's he's lost at sea. He's been away from his family for 10 years. Oh, Zeus, king of kings and lord of lords, uh, can we do something about this? And Zeus says, sure, Athena, go, go ahead. You can intervene in this poor man's plight. But I love the biblical story, the true story that the King of kings and Lord of lords himself, Jesus Christ, didn't send anyone, but he went himself. And Christ went down into the fray of humanity, born in a humble major, born into poverty, essentially, lived a normal life as a carpenter, blue-collar job, probably hit his thumb with a hammer once in a while, got hummus on his beard, He lived this fully human life and fully divine as well. And as he engaged the fray of this cosmic battle between life and death, sin and God's righteousness, he encountered the Pharisees and basically was in the ring with them. And while the Pharisees are throwing blows, Christ, who's better than Mayweather, knew the art of getting low, And he allowed these Pharisees, he allowed the battle of life and the fray of humanity to get him backed up into a corner. Duck, 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 duck. But at the right time, Christ began moving to the center of the ring. And he said, I want my decisive victory to be clear to all of the bloodthirsty onlookers. So he makes his way to the center of the ring, and here it goes. He opens his arms, and he gets punched in the face so hard it kills him. Christ went low down to the mat. And so low, it wasn't low enough yet, they took his body and they put it in a cave. trusted his life to his father to vindicate him from hatred, sin, evil, and death. But do you know what? He was only in the cave for three days, only three days, and he came back, and he told his disciples when he left, he said, I'm coming back for full vindication, so wait for me. want to read a text here Isaiah 53 describes Christ the suffering servant one who knew how to get low and one reason I love this text is because the Jewish scholars have such a difficult time interpreting this text when they go to translate their Hebrew when they go to delineate what this means they go through all kinds of hoops bending over backwards to make sure it doesn't say what it actually says. It says that the servant, God's Messiah, will be a suffering servant. For he grew up before them like a young plant, it reads, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. <laughs> He must not have God's favor. God would never allow that to happen to his own. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement that brought us peace, the discipline that brought us peace, was upon him. And with his wounds, we are healed. Christ calls out to sinners. Get low. I love you. I'm working things out behind the scenes. Heavenly Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to come and minister to our hearts. Give us strength. Give us the energy and the desire to get low. You, you know how primal it is for us to stand up and to fight and to prove who you know we are. We're image bearers made in your image. Beloved children in Christ, would you grant us the power of the Holy Spirit to get low this week, to get low in our community? May our employers, may our spouses, may our children see that those who get low will be lifted up. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.